Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Love Talk Radio. Tonight we'll go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats, football history's memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Television and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Wall for Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He is a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larkin. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squires, Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Ah, Captain, so good to be here, talking football with you a couple days in a row. Got the dream job, my friend, dream job. Welcome to another edition, our 102nd podcast that we have, and we're going to lead off tonight before our special guest will be coming on. We're going to talk a little bit about the football playoffs that have passed and are upcoming. And I will go on a limb and make a Super Bowl prediction. So we'll lead off by anyone who knows both of us know that we root for different teams. One nestled in the frozen tundra of the Midwest, upper Midwest, (laughs) in a town that is so unique to the National Football League. It's incredible. It still exists to this day. A town that I know well, and going to several games over the years, I must admit and I must say, if you have never been to Green Bay, Wisconsin, to Lambeau Field to see a football game, you don't know what you're missing. It should be on every bucket list of any football fan in the country. And the Bob, Green Bay Bob, Packers. hearing you hearing you say that is like a like like a NFL films preamble. Just the way you're saying that. I could just see the 
the video rolling and the steam coming off the field as the camera pans Lambo just literally it's like I'm watching a Steve Sable NFL film hearing you you know go into you know Lambo like that is I love it keep on trucking brother I'm sorry I just had to had to chuckle and you'll see the ghost of Vince Lombardi on the Green Bay Packers sideline as you stare upwards and see the names Bart Starr, Vince Lombardi, and more. But in any event, last weekend here at the compound, I watched four football games from start to finish. I, I barely moved from my my recliner. Brenda had to check to see if I was still alive a few times during the day until she came down and sat for what is the official ceremony of watching a Green Bay Packer game on TV here at the compound from start to finish. And that game, as we all know, was against my co-host's favorite team, the Seattle Seahawks, led by Coach Pete Carroll, and whatever gum he chews, I hope he's sponsoring it. I hope he's got a couple commercials on it, because I never saw a guy near my age chew gum like that. I'm surprised his teeth pulled out that long for that four-hour chew that he does. But any event, it was a good game. There were there were very good games last weekend. I, I enjoyed watching them all. Very interesting. Bob, I, I, no, I, I'm not getting you. I have, I have tears coming out of, of rolling out of my eyes. It's just you're in rare form today, Captain. I'm loving it. Then, <laughs> uh, yeah, we all make fun of Pete Carroll and his, you know, gum smacking. Trust me. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it goes so fast. It's just he's machine gunning, you know, some bubble gum. I, I wonder how how many packs he goes through a game. I wonder if he chews gum, you know. When he's away from the field, or if that's just a football field, I wonder. I've seen him do press conferences. I wonder if he has, if he has dentures now. I don't know. Maybe that's why he's chewing the way he's chewing. I have no clue. I mean, uh, even Brenda said while she's watching, she said, "What is he chewing?" I said, "It's got to be gum. It's not tobacco." <laughs> I mean, if he's chewing tobacco, he have a jaw on. And I said, "I don't think any of them draw tobacco anymore on the sidelines, and like they used to." But uh, man, oh man, Bob, I- he, he just. I just choose gum. I really enjoyed uh, all the texting back and forth. Uh, you know, we had back and forth <laughs> with uh, you, me, and all of our football buddies. Where it's just, you know, yep. just all about for our listeners. All Bob says, all pregame, all week, Green Bay all the way, Green Bay all the way. You just may as well have a have a T-shirt made for Bob or a hat that he just points to. It says Green Bay all the way. So Green I was Bay coming up with way. you know, Seahawks win the day. I was coming up with all funny things, and and then yeah, the game started, and Seattle didn't do a very good job starting off, and then they they made it a game towards the end. Uh, it came close. It came close, but not close uh, enough. Remember, but not close enough. Remember, a W is a W. There's no asterisks. Yep. Winning exactly. isn't everything. It's the only thing. Yeah, they made a game in the second <laughs> half, which was good. And I could yeah. tell Rodgers was getting yeah. tired. Rodgers is a step, oh, yeah. step off of his game. I don't care what anybody says. He's, you know, and again, he's working with a lot of different receivers. And you know, you don't mess up. You don't want to mess up a pattern with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback because that that's yeah. uh, pretty bad as far as I'm concerned. I don't. I, you know, it's all timing. You, you, you're told what the play is. You got to execute it. You you got to fight your defender. And you must execute, and you must catch the ball. And as the years have gone on, with Rogers, that I've, yeah, yep. you got to be there. You turn you around, the ball's going to be in your hand. That amount of time. Yep, yep. exactly. Uh, I wanted to go back to, you know, two, two weeks prior. Uh, okay. You know, you and I, we, we, we've talked about it, you know, somehow, a, you know, a lot, of it, a, lot of, a lot of things can come down to one play in one game, mm-hmm. and they can, they can have entire season implications. Uh, and I want to go back to the uh, last game of the NFL season. Uh, and it was mm-hmm. a Sunday night football game, Seattle, uh, San Francisco 49ers at Seattle. Right. Last game. Both, both teams came into it. Uh, uh, or, uh, San Francisco came into it 12-3 and three in Seattle, 11-4. and four. 
Uh, right. Seattle, Seattle had beat San Francisco in San Francisco. So if Seattle wins, they win the division. And not only do they mm-hmm. win the division, but they would likely become, uh, because of other people's records that week that are already in the books, they would become the number three seed. San Francisco wins, and uh, they became the uh, the number one seed with a you know mm-hmm. with a uh, uh, with a thirteen and three record because they you know they beat right. the Saints. So right. San Francisco, and it came down to that you know that a last drive with two minutes left. Seattle was trailing by I think it was five. They made it all right. the way down. It was four. Fourth and ten from the eleven or twelve yard line. Seattle made a first down, first and goal on the one, with like forty seconds to go. They ran up and spiked the ball. They started to trot out Marshawn Lynch, and everybody's celebrating. Second and goal on the one, with you know thirty-five seconds to go. The clock stopped. Everybody's high-fiving. They line up, and a delay of game happens. A delay yeah. of game yeah. on second and goal on the one yard line. Second and goal on the one is is a lot different than second and goal on the six. Marshawn Lynch right. trots off an incomplete pass, an incomplete pass. Fourth and goal on the six. Seattle throws a slant across the middle to their their, uh, their fullback. He barely gets stopped on the you know one foot line. Change right. of downs. San Francisco wins one play, one game. Is the difference between Seattle being the number three seed and the number and uh, where they ended up? Uh, you know, at the end of and the I don't care seed. what anybody says. I don't care what anybody says. That delay of game never should have happened in your 16th game of the season when you're playing for yeah, everything on the line. That should Very never, ever, ever have happened. That, that's something you, that, yep. that's a mistake you make in junior college football, not in the NFL in your 16th game of the season when you're fighting for, you know, a number three playoff berth. I mean, it, it, yep. to me, it was just it was ridiculous. I, I couldn't believe what I saw. I really couldn't. I really couldn't. Very. It, it was off. amazing. Very. I mean, that's bad coaching. That's on. That's on uh, Pete Carroll. A delay of game. Delay of game. Game. A delay of game. Penalty. So here's the ripple effect from that. Seattle drops to number five uh, instead of becoming the number three seed. And uh, with San Francisco becoming the number one seed, the Saints drop to being the number three seed. If uh, San Francisco loses that game, the Saints are the number two seed with a first week bye. But because San Francisco wins that game and becomes the number one seed, Saints become number three seed. They They end up playing the Vikings at home and lose. San Francisco yep. loses that game in Seattle. Saints are the number two seed with the first week bye, and who knows? Maybe they maybe they go up. I I always had you know like a you know I always had the Saints winning the NFC this year. They were that good. So a huge ripple effect, you know, not only for the Seahawks and where they stand for the for the 49ers and where the Saints ended up being, you know, you know being right. placed. It was right. kind of interesting, and I've just I. Yeah, it's truly, tr- oh, well. truly amazing, truly amazing. And, you know, again, I, I, I tell a lot of people here locally, you know, because they, they ask me, they know I, I, you know, eat, sleep, drink, green bag. They know I got a lot of contacts there, so on and so forth. And I just tell them, you, you have to execute every game in an NFL season like you're playing the Super Bowl. And I said, you know, you take it, take what I'm saying to, as face value. You're a professional football player. I don't buy into the argument in a 16-game season, but we're, going to, we're definitely always going to lose X amount of games. Listen, you're, you've got to go out there and you've got to play like every game is a Super Bowl. I don't care what anybody says. And you've got to try to win. And you've got to achieve whatever it is that your opponent is putting in front of you to get by and score that touchdown or get that field goal, whatever the case may be. And there's no room for excuses. And unfortunately, because we got talking media 24/7, you know, you know, the, all the um, the sports talk shows, they got to talk about yep. something. So they re- rehash everything 200,000 times over and over again. Well, I, I, I'm cutting through the. I'll cut through the rhetoric. If you don't execute, you're going to lose the game. It's simple. 
If you're going to execute, you got a shot at winning. If you're going to execute perfectly, you're going to be a champion. And that's what it comes down to. That's really, really what it comes down to. And I, and I do feel sorry for the, for the fans of NFL teams that are horrible, you know. And, and, you know, every season it's the same, same problem, same issues, you know, so on and so forth. Green Bay was for that for how many years? You know, I call it the dark ages of the Packers where they couldn't do anything. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's uh, just can't happen, can't happen. So that's why I always say Green Bay all the way. And a real quick story, back in the 90s, I worked for the uh, local phone company here in Connecticut. And uh, I worked in the real estate division, so they, the guys there were very uh, sports-minded. So there was a football pool every season. So the first year I worked there, they said, you want to join the football pool? I said, sure. So every week you had your picks. You had to pick all the games, so on and so forth. So at the end of the season, one of the guys who ran the pool, one of the managers said to me, you know, you never bet against Green Bay the whole season. I said, I don't bet against Green Bay. <laughs> So, summarizing it, I ended up second in the pool somehow, and he just said, you, you picked Green Bay every week of this season, and I can't believe you're in second place. I said, well, believe it. I don't bet against Green Bay, which is why I say this year, my prediction, <clears throat> Sunday's game against the 49ers will be difficult to a certain degree. But I do believe the Packers will beat the 49ers in San Francisco. And I also believe they will be in the Super Bowl. I do believe their opponent, contrary to what a lot of people think, will be the Kansas City Chiefs. And I believe we're going to see a replay of the Super Bowl many years ago with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers. And the Packers will once again, will once again overcome and be Super Bowl championships champions again, showing Aaron Rodgers. Yep. And here's the storyline. Aaron Rodgers and a first-year coach, a young first-year coach, wins a Super Bowl. I could yep. be wrong, but more times I'm right. So we'll see how it we plays even, out. We, have, we haven't even touched we'll on the uh, Tennessee Titans. A 9-7 well, Tennessee Titans. With the worst record in either conference, uh, barely making it to the playoffs, barely. Right. Uh, at right. nine and seven, and then nudging off a twelve and four Patriots at home, and then moving on to the number one Ravens with the best overall record in the NFL, fourteen and two. So the number and I, six, and I don't, nine and seven, lost. I, I really don't understand what happened to Baltimore in that game. I don't know how they could have been that unprepared for what they were up against. I don't know what kind of phone they looked at. I don't know what kind of game plan they had. <laughs> but to me, they, they just, they just, they looked horrible. They really looked horrible. Yep. And yep. It, it was really uh, pathetic to watch. Pathetic. Yeah. And, uh, well, as you, you know, Hedrick, as you said in a text message, that's why we play the game. Yep. Exactly. And, and to me, Henry, as a running back, I mean, the guy's a bull. He's literally unstoppable. But, again, I, I'm going to compare Sunday's game with the Chiefs down 24 to nothing by the Texans, and the Texans making some uh, questionable coaching moves, in my opinion, that basically dissolved their entire lead and their game yeah. victory. You know, they uh, and they became a listless team, and Kansas City just poured it on. I mean, they got 50, that was 82 points in that game. That's amazing. Amazing for a yeah. playoff game to see that many points. So that's why well, I think Tennessee, Tennessee might have some problems on Sunday. I think the Chiefs are going to be prepared. I think they, they, you know, watching enough film off of what the Patriots didn't do and what Baltimore didn't do, they'll prepare themselves to know. And Andy Reid's smart that way. He, he, he understands yeah. He's got a good handle on his opponents, so I think his game plan can be catered to uh, what Tennessee is going to throw throw at him. But I do agree with that. Number six fit, number six spot that just got red hot. That was basically a little two games over five hundred. Wow, 
I yep. mean, that, that's scary to see. That's scary to see, to, to, to say the least. So, uh, yeah. The only, it, the only shame is uh, that the U of O, the University of Oregon's Heisman winner, Marcus Mariota, who's I'm a huge fan of, yep. I have a, have a Sports Illustrated blown-up poster of him autographed hanging in my office, that uh, Marcus Mariota was benched early on in the season. That's the only shame. Is that he's carrying a, carrying a clipboard for uh, Tannehill uh, and the right. but right, right. Oh well, right. Well, you know that that happens. And again, if, if you want to be a number two quarterback in the NFL, there's only 32 spots. Number one and number two, you better be prepared. If your quarterback goes down, you better get out there and you better play yep. your A game. Don't be rusty. Don't you know? Be confused. Don't look at the sidelines trying to figure out what the play is. You, you got to respond. That's it. And I think that's the big difference yep. today between number number two quarterbacks in the NFL as compared to the to the the sixties. You know, when uh, you had oh, yeah. Neuro Morrow walk on walk on the field and, and that was it, or Dick Brakowski walking on for, for star or whatever. You know, they were there, they came out and that was it. You know, they do what they had to yep. do, they had to play. So yep. well, different Garoppolo, league, different Garoppolo, yeah. Garoppolo yeah. holding yeah. a clipboard for Tom Brady all those years, now he's you know you know, number one seed in the NFC. Uh, you know, and then here's yep. Tannehill comes to, you know, but Marcus Mariota was the number one draft for the, you know, for the Titans, and he's their franchise quarterback. And three years later, you know, Tannehill's their backup, and he takes his job. I mean, yeah, it's you, you got to be on. Yeah, you got to you got to well, be definitely spot on to say the least. So uh, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And uh, I, I do have to say it was very enjoyable to watch uninterrupted uh, all four games, especially the last game on a Sunday night. And uh, <laughs> exactly. merci- mercifully, it got done whatever time. It was a little after 10 o'clock. I hate those Sunday night games that end at uh, 11.30 at night. And I'm up at 5 o'clock the next morning. So it's a, it's a uh, rough next day. All right. All right. perfectly time for us West Coast guys. Yeah, sorry. Our, our special guest this year, I'd like to introduce him and start our show. I'd like to welcome him. He is a New York Football Giants collector, and New York Football Giants historian, with an impressive collection of giant programs and other memorabilia. I'd like to introduce to the show tonight, Mr. Larry Schmidt. Larry, welcome to the show. Are you? Thanks for having me. How you doing? Good. I'm good. I didn't realize we're neighbors. I, Almost. I forgot all about that. Yeah, you're, Connecticut's not a large state. You know, you're about an hour and a half drive from somebody. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm about an hour from you if there's no traffic. Very interesting. Now, let's yeah. start off by asking <laughs> and telling our uh, audience, how would you become a fan of the New York football giants? Well, I grew up in a family with uh, season tickets for the Giants. You know, my grandfather right. first got them when they were playing in the old Yankee Stadium going back to 1960 or 1961. I don't know the exact year. And uh, my grandfather passed the tickets on to my father, and I grew up going to games at Giant Stadium in the Meadowlands with my father and my two sisters. And he passed them on to us, and my sisters and I held on to the season tickets up through 2009, which was their uh, last year at Giant Stadium. We, we didn't make the mm-hmm. move to MetLife with the team. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people did not uh, did not buy into the uh, seat licensing. Uh, no, game. that was so, uh, they it, they made the decision easier than uh, <laughs> easier than it needed to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Same thing happened here in exactly. Seattle, Larry. Uh, mm-hmm. You know they you know, they blew up the Kingdome and they built you know the new stadium, uh, you know the, the new uh, you know Qualcomm Stadium and uh, or not, well it was Qualcomm now it's CenturyLink, excuse me. Uh, yeah. And when they did that, we had to sit on the bleachers at Husky Stadium, University of Washington, for two years, and then uh, once the stadium was built, licensing fees, the you know the the price doubled. I mean there yeah. wasn't much oh. loyalty. Yeah, mine more than Yeah. It just became easier to, you know, having to deal with the season, the preseason tickets, this, I mean, and not going mm-hmm. every game. Yeah, it, 
now I now I just buy one or two games and decide what to go to. Yeah, I hear you. Same thing. Yep. So, yeah, I miss Giants uh, games, but I still get my uh, live football fix. I go to West Point to see Army play once a year, and that's a Mikey Stadium's <laughs> a great place to watch football. A lot of fun tailgating oh, yeah. there. Yeah. And it's very yeah. that's, uh, that's very a, fan friendly with the prices. Hmm. That's an incredible yeah. incredible place to go see a football game, and I would it recommend is. anybody. It is. Put Army on uh, West Point for a uh, on your bucket list to see a game there. You will not be disappointed. Absolutely. I, uh, saw absolutely. Air, I saw Air Force and Army a few years back. I went on a bus trip from here, and it, mm-hmm. what an incredible experience! Incredible. I mean, it gives yeah. you goosebumps just to see walking into that stadium and then seeing all the the young military men and women in their uniform cheering yeah. on nonstop for sixty minutes. It's just incredible. Incredible. Yep, and there's a, lot oh, of, yeah. there's a lot of football history there. Oh, Vince yeah. Lombardi yeah, oh, coached yeah. there. Bill Parcells coached there. A lot of great players. It's a great great place for a football fan. Yeah. We had a uh, previous guest on the show, Scotty Otten, who's uh, an officer in the Army, who, uh, uh, who who's talked about getting uh, some backstage passes to, you know, to an Army game. And I've, I've, I've planted the flag. If he flies back, you know, to uh, to West Point and can get me get me into a game, uh, I'm flying there to go see an Army game. Here. It's worth All it. Right. I've heard it's worth it. Go do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Big, Blue, uh, Big Blue Interactive, you're obviously, uh, you know, tell our audience a little bit about it. And, uh, you know, the, sure. the articles on it. You're you're the you're the you're the, you're the site's historian, correct? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so Big Blue Interactive is a fan site and a message board that's been around since 1995. And, you know, I've been a visitor and a poster on the message board since 1996. And about seven, six or seven years ago, I was talking to Eric Kennedy, who runs the site, and um, I started to write some articles on Giants history. Um, I started with, you know, the 1934 championship in 1938. And as I started writing, and this was as I started building my uh, my library of old out-of-print football history books, all these, as I'm writing an article, all these other ideas started coming to me. And as I'm writing about the 1938 Giants, I'm thinking about uh, Paul Brown. And as I, st- I start writing about Paul Brown, I start thinking about White Tittle, and it was this huge, you know, burst of ideas that I've had for a long time that just started coming out, and I was just cranking them out one after the other, and uh, as I was having exchanges with uh, Eric Kennedy, you know, he said, you know, I want to make you the website's historian, so I'm on the About Us section of the website, and yeah, I haven't written a formal article in a little while, because I've been busy doing other things, but occasionally I'll write, you know, a detailed post in the forum, and I'll, it'll be based around pictures or newspaper articles that I found, and it's mostly focused on Giants history, but I try to be broad and, you know, include other aspects of, you know, pro football history, you know, rules changes, other players from other teams and styles of play. And, you know, it's, it's just something that I do because I love and I'm just um, I'm happy that there's an audience for it and people want to read about it and they want to learn about history, too. You're doing amazing. I always tip my hat to somebody who, you know, picks up the baton of a team's history and runs with it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to just, you know, catalog it, to, to share with others. So yeah. uh, just uh, it, it, somebody has to do it. And I always, I, I'm, I, I'm always, you know, yeah, very appreciative of the, of the, of the person or people who do it. So nice job. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, the one thing that's always kind of frustrated me and I have a, pretty much every book that's been written on the Giants and sometimes the NFL films features. It seems like everybody thinks the Giants history started in the 1950s with Frank Gifford and Sam Huff, but there's a whole generation of football that took place before that. You know, most, if you ask any giant fan, you know what they know about Mel Hine and they might say, Oh yeah, well he was a great center just because Mm. that's all they've ever seen. And you know, he was a lot more than that. He was a fantastic defensive player. You know, Wellington Maris said that Mel Hine was the greatest giant, and the only one that ever equaled him was Lawrence Taylor. And a lot of people Hmm. just aren't aware of that because there's just not a lot of film out there. There's some, you know, 
one-minute or 90-second um, newsreel highlights of like a, a game against the Packers that exists, but there's just not a whole lot. And, yeah. you know, football history is different than baseball history where there's not a ton of information before the 1950s about it. So you really have to want to drill deep. And, you know, I've been getting my information the past five or six years from going into old newspaper archives online, like the New York Times and the the New York Herald Tribune and the Chicago Tribune and the, you know, the Green Bay newspapers. You know, you really have to want to go get it. Yeah. But I hate to say it, Larry, I think the NFL uh, is – you know, is in that is, is in that camp where, you know, NFL history starts. You know, Super Bowl one. I, I mean, they really struggle. They really struggle to acknowledge the past. You know, I I, mean, I, uh, I agree with you. You know, they'll mention the Packers of the '60s and the greatest game ever played in '58, but before that, it's like nothing yep. ever happened. You know, it was a Neanderthal oh, yeah. game played by guys with leather helmets, but it was really interesting, and there was so much innovation that took place in the. 30s and the 40s, you know, the T formation and it's, you know, the yeah. umbrella defense and Sammy Ball. Look, look where we're at. It's the well, 100th know, anniversary of the NFL. You'd expect mm-hmm. them to you'd expect them to put something together celebrating 100 years. I mean, you just this is the year they should have really celebrated. Uh, and I know, it's been very low key. Them. It was, you know, it seemed like they made a bigger deal of it in 1994 with the 75th anniversary. Yeah. Well, I think I think what, I think what they're doing, they're catering, they're catering to their market right now. Number one, but number two, I've always felt the NFL has always rejected any of the different leagues that have occurred over the years, including the, the yep. real old AFLs, the AAFC, obviously yes. the AFL, obviously WFL and the USFL, and they mm-hmm. they just basically totally, literally just wiped them off the books and that they never existed. And again, instead yeah. of understanding and incorporating it in their history, they reject it from a pure marketing point of view. And it really makes no sense to me whatsoever. And, I, and especially with the American football league. And I, I don't use Super Bowl one. I, I use 1970 as they really believe mm-hmm. yeah. that's the beginning yep, of the NFL absolutely. because the NFL was gone and, and they're merged. They're one, they're one. Everything is, is, is wonderful now. Type of stuff. Yep. So, uh, you know, I, I agree. I agree with both of you guys uh, with regards to the the irrational and really poor development of the 100th anniversary of the NFL. I really, nothing makes sense to me this year whatsoever. I try to be optimistic about it. And then yeah. listening to the, the Hall of Famers today who got picked, I, I'm saying to myself, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I don't, I, I'm better yeah. off just not saying anything. Type of thing. Quick, yeah. add, a quick side note to um, what what you were talking about the Giants. I was an usher at the Yale Bowl with my brother-in-law back in the seventies for the two seasons uh-huh. that they played there, and um, we always commented that Giant fans coming out of New York were cheap because they would never tip us when we brought them to their seats. <laughs> so by the end of the season, we just basically were. were I was whatever. I think it was like fifteen, sixteen years old at the time. We were just point mm-hmm. where their seats were instead of walking them. <laughs> And, you know, I had my little towel, so I would wipe the, the bench down for them to sit. I, I, I really, you know, we would laugh about it because nobody gave mm-hmm. us a tip. So, so it was at the you end can't blame of, me. The, I wasn't one of them. That was a little bit, well, I'm I know, still I know, a little bit young. I wasn't going to games yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just throwing it if, out. It, if was, you can... it was just hysterical to watch that we're saying, well, what, you know, okay, there's your seats. And, you know, walk up six yeah. rows here in the middle there. That's it. So, <laughs> that's funny. I I have a hard I have a hard time envisioning a uh, young fifteen year old obviously mustachioed you know Bob Swick <laughs> getting stiffed for a tip for uh, walking him down wiping the rain off uh, just oh, come on Newts one more reason not to like New York Giant fans hey <laughs> present company <laughs> excluded right <laughs> exactly. Uh, now there's a, there's another friend of the program, uh, you know the the Reverend Michael Moran. You know we just call him yep. Rev. Uh, his father, you know, half Moran played for the Giants in the 20s and 30s. And yes, uh, yes, Mike sure. actually is my neighbor. He's a fellow New Milford resident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm pretty sure Mike would uh, would agree with you that uh, the Giants' history started before 58 in the greatest game. Yes, we've had so. many discussions over it, and he's you know he's helped me.
me out a bit with my uh, with my articles. You know, he gives me good insights, and he gives me you know my articles have um, photographs with them, and he's been kind enough to um, you know scan from his personal collections just some really you know beautiful high def photos. So a lot of what you see on Big Blue Interactive, it says uh, you know courtesy of Reverend Reverend Mike Moran yep. on there, and he's helped I, me out uh, up with some nice programs too. We're constantly saying no, that the rest of us, the rest of us are students of NFL history. That's right, uh, Rev. He is NFL history. He is, he is yes, NFL history. As closely tied to it as um, anybody I've ever met. Larry, you're also the assistant researcher for the Gridiron Uniform Database. What, what's that entail? So, the Gridiron Uniform Database, um, its ninth anniversary is coming up. This, I believe, it's in June. And um, it's a graphic website where we are attempting to visually depict every uniform ever worn going all the way back to the APFA in 1920. And, you know, I started out just as a fan of the site, and I was a visitor. And, you know, the best thing about the Gridiron Uniform Database is that, you know, we encourage visitor participation, you know, if you know something. If you have a photograph, share it with us. There's a forum on there for people to post, you know, anything and everything that they think is interesting. And that's how I started, just making posts. And about um, a year or two into it, they decided um, they should just put me to work. So during the off season, we work on the bigger historical projects. And then during the season, it's just, you know, keeping up with the current goings on. And that's where I got you know, most of my access for newspaper databases was doing the photography research because there's only so much you're going to find on Google Images and Getty Images, and it's going into the newspapers because, you know, going back to the 1930s and 1920s, that's where you're going to find most of them, and they're also the most accurate right. because a lot of the photographs right. that you see on Associated Press or Getty, they're misdated. But the newspapers are the most accurate because they were, you know, the photograph was taken the day before, and it's in there with the, yeah. with the game story. Hmm. So it's just, you I know, love, love like anything else about football history, it's, you know, you have to want to get it. You have to be willing to, to drill down, and it's just something that we do because we love it. I, I love the Gridiron exactly. Uniform Database website. It's, uh, I was on it last night, as a matter of fact, Larry. It's uh, yeah. looking up some some uniform history. It just I, mm-hmm. I and and before but you know before you were on the show, I actually didn't know you were associated with it. So again, yeah. thank you for for keeping up with that because I mean oh. it's it's odd. I mean if you want to know what a what a uniform looked like or what color it was, I mean you're you're googling it and you're trying to narrow it down. It took forever, and, and yeah. you guys you guys just make it simple. Yeah, so everything that you see displayed on there has at least one photograph backing it up. You know, when you get to the 1920s, you'll see a blank template because we just don't have anything to support it. But a few years ago, we began doing every uh, weekly matchup. And we have, you know, for the NFL, I think the weeklies, we have every single weekly going back, I believe, to 1948. And when we get to the middle 40s, like around the AAFC, there's a couple that are missing. And then as you go further back to the 40s, because, you know, the photographs just become harder and harder to find. But right now we have it set up where we have almost everything week to week going back to 1930. And I believe wow. the, pre-seasons, the pre-seasons we have going back to 1950. And this past summer... Uh, Bill Schaefer and I were working on trying to find photographs of the NFL games against independent teams, which they did a lot of in the early and the mid-40s, like during World War II. They were playing a lot of the the military teams, or they would play, you know, the Giants would play the, I think it was the Patterson Panthers. So we tried to find as many of those as we could for the preseason. Wow, that's amazing. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, it takes a lot of lot of work, a lot of personal time. And, yep, uh, there, there again, is no I, off season I, I, at the Gridiron Uniform Database. Yeah. In fact, though, the off season for uh, you know for Bill and I, that's actually our busy time. Hmm. Interesting. Um, it, you, you mentioned you have a, a really large collection of programs. 
I mean, you just collect New York Giants programs, and or uh, you know, a whole bunch of them. And then you know, rattle um, off what a couple of your favorite, favorite programs are. Yeah, so it's uh, mostly Giants. I have, um, you know, my favorites are you know usually the oldest ones. I have my earliest one was the Giants and the Bears from November 1934. You know, Ken Strong is on the cover. And uh, you know Beautiful. that was the season. Yeah, that was the season they ended up playing uh, the Bears in the in the sneakers game. That's a yep. you know a, these old programs. You know, aside from the historical relevance, you know they have nice. You know, there's a good photograph of uh, Red Grange in that one. I have yep. the uh, the season finale games. The Giants played against the Redskins at the Polo Grounds in 1938 oh, wow. and 39. You know those were two games that the Giants needed to win to get into the championship game. And, you know, the 1939 game is one of the uh, – it's kind of an infamous one because um, the Redskins had attempted a field goal at the very end, and it was – they called it no good, but the Redskins thought it was good, and there was almost a riot on the field. And um, oh, wow. I have my, – my number one favorite is um, from 1940, the Giants and the Dodgers, Mel Hine Day. So almost the whole program is dedicated to Mel Hine. Yeah. And there's yep, a nice yep. two-page spread where there's, you know, comments from Burt Bell and George Hallis and a whole bunch of NFL people, you know, talking about Mel Hine. That's a really good one. Hmm. I have Tuffy That's Lehman's really cool. Day. Tuffy Lehman's Day, December 7th, 1941. You know, just for the date on the cover, that's a good one. And, um, you know, some of my favorites, I have a few from the 1950s. You know, I mentioned Paul Brown earlier. I you know, through the 1950s, I'm trying to add to my collection of Giants-Browns programs. You know, I have the one from the Polo Grounds in 1950. Um, I have them. I just actually, my newest ones I just got for Christmas, 1958. The Giants played the Browns on consecutive weeks at Yankee Stadium. Oh. You know, on December oh, wow. 14th, December 14th was the game where Pat Summerall kicked the field goal in the snow to force the playoff. And then the week after was the Eastern Conference playoff where the Giants played the Browns and the Giants shut the Browns out, and that sent the Giants into the championship game against the Colts. Oh, yeah, so I, I enjoy them for historical significance, but, you know, I also I just, I just love reading them for fun. It's just something that I enjoy, to do, enjoy it doing. It is. Do you have a program from that 58 championship, greatest game? I don't have that one. It's a little out of my price range. <laughs> They're really, you know, the ones like that, you know, I'm a little bit more uh, modest. But, you know, who knows, one day down the road, maybe I can work something really? out. I saw a scan of it once, and uh, it's kind of cool because they, they show the Giants team, you know, and there's mm-hmm. a you know, very young Vince Lombardi there. There's a Landry. There's, I mean, yeah. there's. That is a that is a staff akin to Bill Walsh, yes. 49ers, you know, in the 80s, you know, the, yeah. the coaches he spun on. I have the Giants media guide for 1954, which was the first year with um, Jim Lee Howell and Vince Lombardi and Tom Landry. And um, I have it right in front of me, right there on page five. There's the yeah. picture of the uh, coaching staff, and there's two pages just talking about all the uh, the credentials that – all the new coaches have, you know, because at the time that was kind of a big deal because Steve Owen had coached the Giant team for 23 years and you know, yeah. Giant fans hadn't been exposed to, you know, they all grew up with, you know, Steve Owen is the Giant, so they had all these uh, new faces. So that's uh, that's one of my favorite programs too. Or that's a uh, media good. guide. Very cool. That, now you, you have some autographs too. Can you tell us about those? Sure. I have um, – my first autograph, when I started, it was in the late 1990s. I got my first autograph on eBay. It was a, a photograph of Harry Carson playing in Super Bowl 21. So I spent a couple of years, you know, looking for um, photographs that were autographed, Phil Sims and Joe Morris and a lot of the 80s Giants that I loved. And, um, and then some of the contemporary ones at the time, I have Jesse Armstead and Michael Strahan, and from the photographs, you know, I started getting into um, a little bit of a mini helmet collection. I have Sims and Taylor. Uh, yeah. And um, my favorite one, it's a throwback helmet. It's a autograph by four Giants 
Hall of Famers, Y.A. Tittle, Frank Gifford, Sam Huff, and Roosevelt Brown. That's my, my favorite mini wow. helmet. Have you ever had those uh, those autographs authenticated, or I mean, are you ever worried yeah. about? Yeah, no. Everyone that I that I bid on, I always made sure had a um, C of A available with it. It's kind of interesting. Like yeah. Harry Carson, you know, overlooked you know player for you know for sure. Uh, yeah. But it's kind of interesting. Like I'm very familiar with you know my childhood hero Steve Largent's signature, and mm-hmm. you can kind of look at something signed. You're like, that doesn't look right. You know, uh-huh. uh, so either, either it was the 200th thing he had to sign in a row and he was getting a little tired or, you know, it's a fake. <laughs> hand started cramping a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But, yeah, it's interesting yeah. how you begin to recognize, you know, the autographs well, you know, you're actually, an expert at. And... That's, a, that's very common, though, when they're signing a bunch of stuff all at once. If you see, see their signature yeah. at the beginning of the session until the end of the session, I mean, mm-hmm. there, there is a noticeable, noticeable difference, especially with the older players. Younger guys, yep. you know, yeah. obviously it's, it's they, you know, they got more handle on it. But at the same time, most of their autographs are are, are not legible when you're reading it. You know, at least the older mm-hmm. guys took the time out to, you know, actually sign their name yeah. so you could read what their name was. Type of them. I mean, I've seen some stuff today from some Martin Day players. Doesn't even, I, I, I couldn't figure out who, who the heck it is. I have no idea who yep. it is. So, uh, yeah, I went to a. I went to a Giants fan event in 1999 when Lawrence Taylor went into the Hall of Fame, and they had a table set up for autographs. You know, everybody got to bring up one item to be signed, and I had um, I have an authentic jersey that I got when I was in high school. That was number 56 that I wanted him to autograph, and I I bought a picture of him at the podium to have signed that my wife stood in line to get, and the uh, we had to stand in line for LT's signature. I'm not, you know, 20, 25 minutes because it was just a mob scene. He was like a rock star. And it was just, you had oh, to yeah. stick your hand up, and there's, you know, everybody's reaching something to him, and he would just take it, sign it, and he, you know, could barely even, like, look yeah. up and make eye contact. But then to the table just to the left, there were these two guys, and I look, and it was Harry Carson and George Martin, and I just walked over, and I said, I said hello. I shook their hands, and they chatted with me a little bit. They were just super friendly guys, and I'm at one point, Harry Carson just kind of looked over toward LT, and he just kind of, like, shook his head because <laughs> it was just <laughs> such a – he was like a rock star, and half the people there I don't even think knew who Harry Carson or George Martin were. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. but I did oh right away, and I got the – yeah. Yeah, I so those the, are the uh, items that I had the, signed the in ni- person. The 1980 football set is one of my favorites. The Harry Carson card in there is one of my favorites. I I, I just dig mm-hmm. that card. So yeah, that, that must be yeah. a that must be a pride hit to be a pro football. I'm, and like I said before, Harry Carson is no slouch. I mean, oh no, you know he's a good good player, and mm-hmm. to be sitting there alone while you know the line is a you know about you know 20 minutes deep for LT, yeah. it's got to be. A tad bit pride swallowing. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But I, yeah. I also think they kind of were enjoying the anonymity a little bit too. I don't think they wanted to be that famous. <laughs> it was, I think, yeah, it was uh, would be a little overwhelming. Larry, do yeah. you remember when uh, yeah, Beasley Reese Beasley Reese was on uh, Channel Thirty? He was the sports uh, announcer. This was quite a few years back, and I remember he would do uh, promotions for WVIT at the time, and then he would sign. Uh, real nice guy to talk to in person, and uh, he was very, mm-hmm. very pleasant on the year. So uh, I, I remember him. Uh, that, that just popped in my mind when you were talking about roughly that time period. Yeah. Yeah, I know he ended up, I think, doing uh, television in Philadelphia for a while. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of yeah. weird, a yeah. giant in uh, Eagles country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was Which in Hartford. one behind the enemy lines. Yeah. <laughs> he lived uh, – he lived um, – Near one of my friends, and uh, he always told me that he he was a real nice guy to talk to. Went out of his way to mm-hmm. say hi to everybody. Very very pleasant. Yeah, you, Larry. You also mentioned previously you you had a media guide in front of you. Uh, I mean, is that something you collect? Is that uh, yeah? You know, yeah. I have a bunch. I have I don't know the exact count. I have starting from 2005 to 1971 i have just about all of them i'm missing a couple in the 90s and then i have three or four from the 60s i have four or five from the 50s 
and my earliest one is uh, 1946. And, wow. you know, those wow. are they're invaluable when it comes to research because, you know, on, there's so many websites. There's Pro Football Reference and the Pro Football Archives where you can get yardage statistics and numbers. But, the you know, the media guides and game programs, they have – anecdotes and little factoids about players or coaches that you just can't get anywhere else. Totally. I've always said and they're, I've always said media, and they're just and they're just fun guys, to read and that Yeah, you know, the advertisements so, and some of them are a kick. Are are so overlooked to collectors for some reason. Yeah. I I never could understand that. Never could understand that. Anybody They are you know, say you're you're a Giants fan. Uh, to me, it's, it's at least on like one from each decade. Is something mm-hmm. better than nothing, but you know the way they're ignored by some yeah. of the collectors. It, it never made sense to me. It really doesn't. Yeah, sometimes you know, like on eBay, you can find someone selling four or five for a decent price. Yeah, which yeah. is how I've gotten yeah. some of mine. That's how I got my uh, my collection from the '80s. I got a whole bunch in one yeah, shot, I mean, and it, it's a bargain. And it, it was like a hundred dollars for a ten, but that's ten dollars each, and that's a bargain. Right. And I use them right. for when I write my articles and. And I'm not embarrassed to say I just kind of like to read them for fun sometimes too. I was, oh, I was yeah. just gonna say it, it, it's got to be really cool to reread those, like you mentioned earlier. I mean, just yeah. I I, I live in Portland, Oregon, and I bought a, an old program from the Portland Rockets, you know, like 1933 or something like that. Nice. Uh, you know, playing a game, and I read every, every single article. I looked at every ad because it was kind of yep. cool to see, like a you know a you know, a suit manufacturer in Southwest Portland. It was just, it was really cool to read. And I, I yeah. about every other year I break it out and reread it again. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I do that, you know, the early part of the off season, you know, after the Super Bowl when there's not a lot to do during the winter, that's when I kind of, you know, go to the bookshelf and I look at the programs or I look at the, uh, the media guides. Yeah. yeah. To me, it's just, you're reading history and especially mm-hmm. stuff from pre-world before World War Two, that yeah. still is in existence today. It, to me, is rare, rare, and uh, yeah. you know, it's just it's you're you're reading the history of the game as it happened. I mean, that's that's what yeah. it really comes yeah, like, down to. Like Charlie Connerly's second year, the Giants hired Ali Sherman to be their T formation expert because the Giants were trying to transition from the A formation and the single wing to the T formation, and they brought in a special coach for that, and it and it ended up taking them until. Jim Lee Howell and Vince Lombardi took over where it finally happened for good. But the Giants kept toggling back and forth between A formation and T formation. And a couple of times they actually drafted a quarterback just to play the T, and they'd switch, you know, Connerly or someone like Travis Tidwell, whether they wanted to play the T formation or the A formation for a particular game. Or sometimes during a game, you know, they would play a half, you know, one half, Connerly would play from the A formation, and then the second half, the other quarterback would play for the T formation. Huh. And that's yeah. stuff that you find in newspapers. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. It's, am- it's am- amazing information, and to mm-hmm. me, it's just so overlooked. Paper, you know, media guys, programs, yearbooks, the annuals, yeah. Illustrated Smith, Illustrated Football annuals, um, yeah, all that Yeah, they're time stuff. capsules. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm just so surprised it's just not as popular. I know in other sports, I know in baseball it's very popular, but in football for whatever reason. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, so it's the baseball much, uh, fan much, culture is different than football. Yeah, yeah. exactly. In baseball, history is revered. You know, in football, it's kind of um, kind of a niche interest. Yeah. That's totally but, uh, Baseball collectors. Baseball collectors yeah. are a totally different breed than, mm-hmm. you know, than us football collectors. It's it is interesting, you know. Yeah. It's amazing. And Larry, a uh, uh, final question as we're getting close to uh, our ending here. Any advice for beginning collectors? Uh, you know, for me, it was just following my passion. It was something that I enjoyed. You know, I started with just making a purchase on eBay, an autographed picture, and I began a filling up a wall with um, autographed photos and then it became mini helmets. And then, you know, I, I really found what I enjoyed, you know, with programs and media guides and I buy books from used booksellers and, 
it's just blossomed into this whole other thing where I write articles, I do uniform research, and, you know, from my articles, yeah. I, you know, this past year I was invited to be on uh, the Giants television on their show Giants Chronicles because they found me because I had written an article about Emlyn Tennell and Roosevelt Brown, and they were doing a show on Roosevelt Brown this year, and they found the article, and they just asked me to come down. And, yeah. you know, just from some very innocent, having fun, getting an autographed picture, you know, over the past 20, uh, 21, 22 years, it's just kind of been a path that I followed, and my collection just kind of, it's like a timeline of my interest over time. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing, an amazing evolution, and your knowledge of the New York Giants is is, yeah. is just incredible. You know, it was funny you were saying on the you got invited to be on the Giants show, and I and I I saw a clip of it. Um, I'm pretty sure you know John Berperian out of White Plains. He's uh, in the Professional Football Research Association. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of baseball stuff. He has that uh, show, uh, Beyond the Game that he does for the local yeah. um, public TV. So a couple of weeks ago, I drove down there to do the show again. I've done it probably like four or five times now. And uh, it never it never ceases to amaze me. Uh, somebody out of there, out of the blue, watches it, and then I get this inquiry about something that they have or whatever. And uh, it's, it's it's good. It's it's a good thing. You know, you're, you're presenting something different and it's educational mm-hmm. at the same time. And people watch yeah. that, you know, and that's the yeah. nice part about it at the same time. It's a it's a nice break from the twenty four seven media of of you know yeah. garbage talking down this guy that guy you know so on and so forth. I mean just, we're talking about history and that's it. So it's yep. great. Yep. Well, Larry, thank you for being on. I appreciate it. Uh, well, thank you for having I, me. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. You you really informed us a lot about uh, the websites, which I, I was curious about myself, as far as the. Uh, the uh, Big Blue Inter- Interactive. I've been fooling around looking at it, and, and I said, this, "This is a ton of information. Here. It's great." Yeah, I'm doing a service yeah, yeah. for for the for the history of the game and for the Giants too. Yeah, it's the oldest Giants uh, fan website out there. It's been going strong. It's uh, 25 years now, 1995. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, amazing. All right, thanks for being on. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you, Larry. Joe, we're almost out of time. We're going to go into a two-minute wrap-up real quick. Handing off to you. What did you pick up on tonight's show? Uh, just I, like, I can't reiterate it enough. Just, I always tip my hat to people who uh, carry the torch of teams. Uh, you know, we, we, we mentioned Rev, you know, Moran. I mean, obviously, Larry. There's just there's certain people who are just, you know, they're, they're, just, they're living historians for their teams, and I always put things in perspective. I'm a Seahawks fan, but I, I, I'm certainly not as up on the history of them as I should be. I, I probably know more about the, the Chicago Bears, you know, the Red Grange era, and you know, previous with Hallis and stuff than I do about the Seahawks. So I, I'm always just appreciative when you know to, to talk to people like that, like Larry. Well, to inter- to interject, you know more about Rick Grange than I would say many many people in my hobby. And you have a true appreciation and understand now seriously uh, of his of his career, and uh, you know by far and wide, the strength of that can never be, or is very difficult to duplicate. Whereas with a new team or any team, regular enough team, there are people who who are historians and they're, they're going to dive right into it. New York Giants is a nice team because there's a lot of history to it. You know, there, it's just not a, uh, you know, it's not a newer team, totally. number one. And, and B, it, you know, there's a lot of history to it. There's a lot of a lot of victories. There's a lot of championships. There's a, there's a lot going there. So it's it's uh, it's very, very interesting to me, and, and I'm glad to see that the history of them are being preserved very, very well uh, through Larry and, and through the Reverend and, and other people involved in it. And, and in your case, too, with Red Grange. You're preserving the history of Red Grange, which is very, very important. A lot of people don't understand Red Grange. They don't, you know, know the context of really what happened in the years uh, that he played and what he actually did for the professional game. So it's, uh, yeah. you know, it has to be the story has to be told. I don't care what anybody says. All right, we're down to about a minute. Joe, final thought. Ah, best seat in the house. There are times where I just sit back and listen. I know I say that all the time, but. 
every time I'm listening to two people, you know, you and another person talk football, I, I, just, I sit back and listen. And sometimes I forget I'm, I'm supposed to be part of the part of the conversation. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I, you know, you got you always say you got the best seat in the house, and I and I got I got the best uh, best uh, business chair here doing this because it's uh, it's just something something that it's a story that needs to be told and it hasn't been told for such a long time. So I'm so glad we do this podcast and can, you know, bring forth all this information and ideas and and concepts as far as the history of the game, memorabilia of the game, the teams, the players, the collectors. It's what it's all about. All right. We're out of time. Thanks for listening. Check out our website. Magazine.com. Thanks for listening. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.